Want to cut cooling bills without cutting comfort? Lower utility costs and enjoy cool and consistent comfort with a highly efficient air conditioner from Luxair. With Luxair's consumer rebate program, educators, nurses, first responders, military personnel, and veterans can enjoy exclusive rebates on qualifying purchases of Luxair equipment. To learn more, call G-Team Mechanical at 765-376-3042 or visit gteamhvac.com. They'll recommend a system tailored to your home that provides comfort, energy savings, and lasting performance. This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee. Another pass for the lead. Joseph Newgard with Otto Ward to the outside of turn number four. Otto Ward has hit the button. He goes to the high side. They get awfully close to the start-finish line and set up for turn number one. They'll stay side-by-side to the apex of turn number two. Boy, and look for a second like Award was going to make that stick in the straightaway. Newgarden actually got underneath them. They ran side-by-side into two, but Award now separates again into turn number three. Carling did a half advantage now for Pata Award. Newgarden to the high side into turn number one. Joseph Newgarden made the high side the middle group. Stuck it right there. Has not moved at all. Pata Award is right behind him with Alex Polo washing up just a little bit. Now Polo to the inside. Going to try to take that spot back from Newgarden. It's Polo. Newgarden. Side by side up turn number four. Polo was on older tires. It hasn't bothered him just as yet. They almost go three wide into turn number one, but Pato Award has to lift a little bit. Joseph Newgarden slips the P1 and starts to pull away up at turn number two. There is not a knuckle in this place. It isn't white right now. Joseph Newgarden with Pato Award to his outside off turn number two. Newgarden now starts to extend just a little bit into turn number three. Pato Award slots in just behind him. Alex Polo runs at third with David Malukas. Pato Award made an erratic move up at turn number four. Don't know how he kept it off the wall. They're side by side in the apex of turn number two. They literally look like slot cars entering turn number two. Joseph Newgarden in that white and baby blue PPG machine. The orange of Pato Award just to his outside. Newgarden slinks in just a little bit. Now Alex Polo runs in third, trying to get a good look at all of that. David Malukas runs in fourth. Side by side battle for the lead. Here comes Grosjean. Here comes David Malukas. They want to get up and play, but now it looks like a two horse race to the entrance of turn number three. And we have a problem. It's Ramon Grosjean who hit the wall, leaving turn number two. And as a result of that, Newgarden now with the word just behind him with a caution flag coming out. Ramon Grosjean did not make it out of turn number two. Joseph Newgarden going to go back to back at Texas Motor Speedway. He wins the PPG 375. Oh, just a, a tough, tough race to win. Very, very difficult. You know, I think Pato was extremely strong and he drove me, he drove me with a ton of respect. Um, so did everybody. You know, I think Pelot was, was incredibly difficult to beat. He was on older tires, but you know, we just tried to be in position there at the end and capitalize and I think that's what happened. You know, we lost we lost a step in the middle of the race. Pato got away from us. We made some adjustments and I think we we went the wrong way on my lead and you know, we just brought it back and when the car needed to be good, it was good in the end. As they say, are you not entertained? Wow! Hello, welcome. Trackside, 93.5-1075 The Fan. From the downtown Indianapolis studios on The Circle. Eddie Garrison is here. He's normally here. I'm Kevin Lee. I'm here. The key card still works. Kurt Cavan is here as well. You know where you are, and we are glad you're with us. Thank you for joining us on the big show tonight. The uh, Twitter inbox is open at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan. We are live live. It makes it a little bit easier to interact with you as the program goes along from the studio tonight. Uh, highlights courtesy of IndyCar Radio. Joseph Newgarden won another thriller. 
We hadn't seen a lot of those in recent years, but back-to-back years at Texas Motor Speedway on the high banks, and we have much to get into tonight. Also, a special announcement later on in the show regarding this year's Prime 47 Burger Bash, benefiting the IU Simon Comprehensive Cancer Center. We'll have date, details, and more later on in the program. Kurt, hello. How are you? Well, I'm a, still a little punch drunk from a great race at Texas. It's um, I was listening to the to the rejoiner there or the intro of the show and listening to Mark Jaynes and Jake Query call the action. I can't imagine being the radio guy, and you've done it, but a radio guy with that much action on a relatively short track, a mile and a half, where there's so much action at both ends of the racetrack, and the backstretch was a fury. Guys going through and clipping the dirt on the inside of the front straightaway. You know, there was just 28 cars, uh, 250 laps. You know, it was it was fun. It was fun again at Texas. So uh, it's good to uh, kind of get that one out of the way. And everybody's safe and everybody with uh, – Largely without crash damage, and so we will gear up for Long Beach next week, and then Barber, and guess what's after that? The month of May. You know, we talk about this race every year, about finding the right package, and I I, I think I mentioned it again last week, how challenging that is for teams, mostly IndyCar officials is where it starts. The teams are going to do what they can to go as fast as they can. Uh, but IndyCar comes up with what's allowable from a downforce standpoint with the perspective of let's don't go too far and have a full-on pack race, but we don't want a parade like we've seen a few times as well. I cannot imagine getting it any better. It, it's close to on the edge. It's easy for me to say not driving the car, but I felt like this was fine. This wasn't too far, I don't think. No, I think you're right. I think it's uh, it was kind of the perfect blend. We saw enough, you know, certainly close side-by-side action. We saw some places where drivers could stick their nose in and, and make it interesting, but, but not interlocking wheels. Uh, did we even see, uh, aside from the Devlin D. Francesco, Graham Rahal situation, which wasn't a function of of the action or the downforce levels or anything. It just was that was one of those unfortunate incidents that could happen literally at any track uh, when a car is wounded and then and then comes up into the path of another car. And we can talk about that one a little bit later. But you're right. I think it was the perfect mix of, you know, awarding a team. I think about Rossi did this at Road America a couple years ago. You can reward a team for figuring it out as Pato Awards and Errol McLaren seems to on this day, and they were able to kind of pull away, run away a little bit, and yet when you know the caution came and everybody you know got new tires and kind of got on the same strategy and, and regrouped, it was a blast, and it was hold your breath like it used to be at Texas, just not as long, which was nice. You know, that was one of the points I was going to make later, but you mentioned it, so I'll bring it up, of getting it right and getting it wrong. This is a, quote, spec series. Sure appeared to be anything but spec to me. Spec series doesn't mean that some should be totally lost, and some have it clear, clearly figured out. There were two teams that I think there were two cars. There two were cars. 
clearly better. Yeah, not teams, because Will Power lost it early on towards the end of the first stint. Uh, lost it, meaning lost the handling and fell back and was off the lead lap. McLaughlin was okay. Uh I think all three of the Errol McLaren cars were, were pretty good. Rossi was good. We didn't get to see him long enough to see it would have lasted. Rosenquist was at least pretty good before he crashed. He was he pitted from the lead. He had cycled the lead, but was still, I think, legitimately about eighth or so. But two cars, you're right. Award and New Garden were the class of the field. So they clearly got it right. And then there were about five that were lost. So to me, that kind of refutes that notion that this is a spec series yes there are some spec aspects but you're able to do some things to get it right or get it wrong and that's awesome well i'm not i'm not an engineer i don't profess to be but this is a situation where they're given a handful of options i guess we'll call them sometimes they call them tools but i think options is a better relatable term for the listener and as you mix and match those option pieces that's where you can find, and you do that to some degree with, with how you handle your tires, too. But just you can you can play with those options and, and get it right. And, and so that's what the teams want to have. Yeah, it's a spec series because everybody has those same options. It's then what you can do with your options and who plays them the best. And it's not a surprise to me when – when one of these teams gets it right and then you look at the staff and you see the experience they have and so forth or the driver and you know this is not a surprise that Joseph Newgarden's good at Texas again this is three wins for him at Texas it's not a surprise that Pato Award knows what he's looking for as well he's won at Texas and has been competitive on the ovals so you know it it isn't just the equipment and the options it also is a driver and their preferences too and those for New Garden and Award really mesh well with this track and these options. And I don't know what the number of options are, whether it's a handful or whether it's a dozen or whatever. Whatever the number is, beyond that, so say there are 12 basic options, but then there are options within the options and the combinations that probably adds up to two or 300 different things when you combine them with... You know, what is the wing angle and what is the tire pressure and uh, everything else and your springs and your shocks, everything else that goes along with it, the things that can be controllable. And and yes, we say, OK, we look at the, the depth and the engineering talent of a particular team. But then you even look at the teams that are and I think it's fair to say that like a Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan, they were not there. Certainly they got better as the race went on, it sounds like. But you look at the people they have. Alan McDonald and Eddie Jones are two of the engineers, and those are two of the best in the business. So you can have really smart people that know what they're doing, and it is so finite. And that's and, and this is something I wish would change. This is the, the challenge of this condensed weekend. If you come in thinking this is the way to go, and you have a, how long was that first practice? Hour, hour and 15 minutes? One hour. Yeah. But by the way... You're only going to do qualifying sims and that because that's what's up next. And it's the it's it's at the time there was a feeling that hey, we're not sure how much passing is going to be. So qualifying is important. It's not a full impound race. So we're going to try some things and then we'll work on the race car after qualifying is done. So if you've guessed wrong, your weekend is kind of over. It's kind of like when we talk about, you know, with, with my son Jackson's races, if there's one practice in a street course weekend and if you hit the wall in that practice and miss it 
your weekend is over. It's kind of that way even in this. If you don't hit the wall, if you miss it, you are going to start in the back and you're not going to recover. So I really wish there was a way to have a practice on Friday afternoon. A chance to to see what you got. You're already there. I know that costs more money and it's easy for me to spend other people's money, but you're already there. Let's do a practice. See where you're at so the weekend isn't over and it gives you one more chance to figure something out. Now, all that said, you know, unless you have four practices, if you come in behind, maybe it's not getting any better. So it's all about the simulation that you've done and everything along with that. But, um, well, it's so hard. A, a really good example of that is the one hour of practice they had before qualifying. Green flag was at 8 a.m. local time. I don't know how that helps you for it. It does, you know, you did still start late morning, 11 a.m. local, but track temperatures were significantly higher in that three hour time difference. We saw it in qualifying just how much, mm-hmm. you know, from start to finish the, the temperatures climbed. So I'm with you. I, I, I sure would like the, it, it feels like. Texas would be one of those places, all things considered, first oval of the year, that you might designate that as your one of your open test days on Friday. Just an open test. You yeah. know, maybe we don't even let anybody in. You guys just figure it out. Maybe we don't even do Peacock. It's just a mm-hmm. you guys it's like what we're going to do before we go into the final race of the season at, at uh, Laguna Seca. Plus, for the rookies, it's their first oval. It really is. Yeah, and it's the, harder than Indianapolis in some ways, I think. Yeah, it's, it is more difficult. And you're not there, you know, as you say, very long. You basically had, what, uh, an hour there, an hour afterwards, and, and 15 minutes to you know from your qualifying and your high lane running you really didn't have a whole lot of time so it's amazing that the the event was as spectacular and all hats off to to the engineering and and engineering group and and so forth uh jay fry's group bill pappas you know tino belly just putting that all together to get that uh that race as good as it was on on really relatively short practice time but you know i think that that would be something that that I would be in favor of. You know, Elio, for example, lost the the last practice. Uh, they had a mechanical issue that they were working through, and he didn't even get to participate in that. So you know, talk about really setting you back. He had a an eight a.m. practice for one hour and a qualifying sim. Uh, that's all he had. So anyway, well, the package seemed good. to be perfect. I, I, it cannot be any better than that. Um, you had many, many that could have won the race. So let's spend a moment before we talk about the future of the event and the finish under yellow and uh, pit lane crashes and everything. Let's just, just talk a little bit about how the the race was won. And for a while, it was definitely between two people because they had lapped the field. And Pato Award was up by, what, about seven seconds or so when a caution came back out. Uh, and then that brought what was it six back onto the lead lap because the rule is this and this is this is why indycar doesn't have a lucky dog or a free pass because the free pass is potentially available but only if the leader pits so you may have noticed later on because at one point when another caution came out and there were at that point i think eight on the lead lap i thought oh wow they're going to be 16 on the lead lap now but the leader did not pit 
That's why those others did not get their their lap back. Um, so once the leader pitted there, and at that point, I was listening to New Garden's radio, and Sindrick was talking in first and saying, I think he said, hopefully Pato doesn't pit, so we stay the only two on the lead lap. And he did, and then they all pitted. And then the other thing that was interesting, just listing his radio, was they came in and topped off. I can't remember if it was that caution or one of the others. And I was only listening to that channel, and they must have had a code or something for that. Or it's just the no one questions anything because they never at any time said, okay, we're going to come in and top off here before this goes green again. Sendrick waited until Pato was past the pit situation. Pit commitment line. The pit commit line. New Garden must have known. I think the broadcast was in a break, so I couldn't see how close they were. But New Garden must have known, don't be too, too close to him, and just said, pit. Dives in. There was there was no conversation on really what what are we doing and it was just simply to top off because uh, we're the only two on the lead lap and I'm not going to lose any position. No, I'm, what he did was he came in. I'm sorry, with the others who had just got their lap back. So he potentially could have fallen to eighth, but he wasn't going to because he only needed to top off and they all needed to change tires. So it was going to be a quick stop. So that was brilliant. So I'm curious if there was some sort of a code to know that, or just as part of their pre-race conversation, that that's the advantage of those two working together for so long that they know that, one, Newgarden knows if Tim Sendrick says it, I'm just doing it. <laughs> yeah. The the thing is that was interesting, Mike Hull had said on social media before uh, the, before the race, 60 laps was kind of their target. Well, I had made note that I think they came in, Pato and Joseph had come in with like 68, 69 laps to go. And so when they come in, I thought to myself, this caution is going to last a little bit. One of those two ought to jump into the pits right at, toward the end and, mm-hmm. and be full rich the rest of the way. And I thought to myself, if one of them's going to do it, it's going to be Newgarden and Cendric. And lo and behold, here comes Newgarden down pit road. I was like, that that's typical Tim Cendric right there. Yep. That's why he's going in the IMS Hall of Fame. Yeah. That's why he is uh, as regarded as he is as a strategist. Is that, to me, made all the sense in the world. And then Pato was left. Now it changed a little bit thereafter, but it really set up for him that he was going to have to run in in fuel conservation mode, and that wouldn't have lasted. In fact, it didn't last at all. No, the extra caution, without the extra cautions at the end, Pato was not going to win. Those extra cautions kept him in the game. Yep. As it did keep other people in the game. And others, New Garden would have run away with it at that situation. The other interesting thing, reporting from my couch and and listening... It's a great place to be, isn't it? Listening to... There are things that you you miss even being there. Uh, There are things you miss by not being there, but the scanners are so clear. I could hear them so much better on the NTT IndyCar app than I can at the racetrack. The problem is you can't scan, you can't... you know, In a perfect world you'd be able to choose in the scanning section the three or four that I want to listen to, and then it would tell you who you're listening to. I don't think it does. I think if it's scanning and it pops up someone, I don't think you know unless you recognize the voices 
who you are listening to. So I did a little bit of the all scan. I think it splits into two groups, like cars 2 through 26 and then the rest. Um, But that was mostly just inside, inside. So I would just, for a while, listen to one channel and really turn it up more during the commercials and just kind of see what I would get out of that. And it's just fantastically clear. You knew exactly what you were getting. You're not hearing the car buffering noise. Uh, The in-car video thing, by the way, is fantastic. So if you have a favorite driver, Connor Daly is your driver and you're annoyed that we don't talk enough about Connor Daly in the race, you've got his onboard. You are watching his race. You are hearing his entire conversation, which, by the way, I listened to that for a while in the first in, and that was, um, well, it wasn't going well. <laughs> he had no idea what to suggest to do. It was just bad at that point, and there was just clean track ahead of him. But you can you can see his race if you have one favorite driver you watch the tv broadcast to get the big picture and you've got their telemetry you've got where they're at fantastic the other thing i picked off the scanner and i can't remember who it was whether it was it was one of the leaders it was either pato or joseph um whoever was running second in one of those cautions fairly late was told the driver was said okay we're going to do what the guy in front does. If he pits, we're pitting. Okay. And then when the pits open, the leader did not pit. Number two still pitted. So I'm starting to think, was that a code? that? Because really, we don't want them to know that we're going to do exactly what they do. So then they're thinking, all right, we really don't want to pit here. Uh, but we also want to stay on the same same strategy as them. We're beating them right now. We want to stay the same. So you let them know we're going to do the same thing. And in turn, you just do exactly what you want to do regardless. Or maybe that was code for we're doing the opposite. Yeah. That gets a little bit tricky and it depends that you got to trust your driver in that. But that was one of the other things I noticed is that. He specifically said, we are following the leader, and they did not follow the leader, and there was no other communication than that. <laughs> I wonder if, if a different, you know, you got a couple of people who could speak to the driver if they have someone else say that, you know, if it's like, you know, if, but uh, but I don't think that's the case, but they, you could there do are, it. In- there are secondary channels, and I don't know if the app would have that, because no, for it, my it scanner, I have two channels for most teams, and then every race there's somebody we didn't get that they haven't passed along their channel well that's a good sales pitch on your part for the uh, IndyCar mobile app because it really does a nice job i will watch the in-car cameras i have trouble listening to the scanners because i like to listen to the broadcast that's why i say yeah i turned it up during commercials more it was just a little bit I could sort of do it because that's what I normally am doing. I'm trying to listen to three voices at the same time so I can sort of filter that out, but you still run the risk of missing something said on the broadcast, and I'd rather hear that. By the way, this is just an aside. I I recorded one of the basketball games over the weekend. Uh, It was going to be late, and I was ready to go to bed, so I just recorded it. Well, it turns out what they recorded was the, quote, Manning cast version Oh, with the women's games? Thank you. And I, it was, you know. Howard Sue and Diana. They were great players. 
they were talking about anything but the game. And so well, that's what that is supposed to be. I get that. Yeah. <laughs> but this is the national semifinals. And uh, anyway, I, I'm glad we don't do that on our racing show. Anyway, that that illustrates my point. I like to listen to the broadcast, whether it's a basketball game, yeah. whether you like the announcers or dislike the announcers. And there are some we're that, hoping they know something that they can share with us. That's well, the goal. <laughs> you get the you get the excitement of them being at the venue. Yeah. You know, you know, the people in my house complain a great deal about Bill Raftery on the basketball oh, front. I love Raft. I love Raft because he's exciting. Yeah, he says puppies, you know, get your puppies organized a lot. But you can <laughs> sense the excitement. And, you know, there are there are some things even my good friend and our good friend Townsend Bell will do during a broadcast that are just very Townsend-like, like Raftery-like. But you know he's engaged with the race, and you can feel the excitement, and so that's why I like to listen to a broadcast more so than and uh, you know Jake and and Mike, Mark Jane's on the radio call is just spectacular, especially on ovals. Uh, I think Jake does such a great job in the corners, and and Mark's enthusiasm for the sport is is off the charts. So I really enjoy play by play from. Oh, those guys are awesome at oval races. Either one. Yeah, they're so awesome at oval races. Uh, I wish we'd have had the photo finish that was coming. We'll get to that. Um, I'll just opine a bit in kind of what you're talking about off topic. So I was a fan, and and as far as I know, this is the only weekend I'll be able to be a fan for. So I enjoyed the weekend off. I'd always prefer to be there, uh, but I I did enjoy the weekend off. And I consumed more sports on television in a weekend than I think I have in years. I said, you know, I'm here. I'm going to take advantage of it. Uh, so I, I got the truck racing. And and I like to hear the, the broadcasters too. So I have a couple of three TVs in the basement. But I don't do that because I want to hear the announcers. So I stay off social media or way behind. And I watch them in order in a row. Uh, so, you know, I'm catching up some through the commercials a little bit. But what I watch the truck race... On Saturday night, one of uh, Jackson's buddies from Quarter Midgets, Carson Hosevar, won his first race. We we know Carson and his his mom, so I was excited about that. Got all the NASCAR races in. Watched uh, all three. Nah, I didn't watch the second basketball semifinal. Got all the Formula One stuff in. Got the uh, seven day pass for the Marquee Network. Watched three Cubs games start to finish, which is probably three more than I have in five years. <laughs> and it's on here on Bally Sports in the studio, so I'm getting. And they're losing again, um, so it was just fun. It was fun to be a fan, to watch on Peacock, texted back and forth with some of my friends in the booth a little bit over the weekend, and enjoyed it. I'll be happy to be back at the racetrack the next weekend. But it's not all bad being a fan sitting on your couch getting to consume everything. So just a, a little aside from that, I was at home as well, and this was perfect timing. The Formula run One race for me, I was watching it, fast-forwarding uh, you know, up until the green flag or green lights, and watched the three podium finishers give their interviews, shut it off, Switched over to IndyCar, and we went live. I ran out of time. I thought I started F1 in plenty of time. Then I thought, I'll be done by 11 o'clock, you know, and then the IndyCar race starts. And I I had to, I I knew it was, and I even fast-forwarded some. So I I got up. I had to fast-forward through some of the downtime. I watched Center. I watched the the pre-race show (laughs) and then started the race and then fast-forwarded through a couple of red flags, and they were just getting back in on my time. Uh, at like five till noon to run that one 
lap behind the safety cars. We knew who the winner was. You know, people complain about other sports not having things organized. This is supposedly the biggest global sport in the world. And this is two races in a row where the guy on the podium was not on the podium five minutes before the podium. So it's hard uh, adjudicating these kind of things. And they got their own issues to deal with. But luckily they had some action or otherwise it would have been... Uh, and, another snoozer. <laughs> and the second toughest job of the weekend was the the reporter that had to, or the writer that had to explain why they had three red flag periods. Ooh, good point. That was difficult. I I, I specifically went to the to the uh, websites to to read that. Can you imagine like an Associated Press story? I mean, it's a, one thing if you're a racer, or you're a racing organization. Yep. But if you're trying to put this in the London Telegraph or whatever, yeah. uh, or the New York Times, yeah, I think you just give up and you say, yeah, the same guy that always wins one again. Let's move on. All right. Uh, a lot of other things we need to get back on pace and talk about how the race was won, uh, the end of the race, a lot of other things to get into tonight. Your tweets are welcome at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavanich, Trackside, 93.5, The Fan. Hi, this is Joseph Newgarden, and you're listening to Trackside. How about this? Nick Yeoman uh, tweeted this, so I copied these stats down because I think they're worthy of having. Joseph Newgarden has now won 26 times. He is one win away from one of the legends in the sport, who I saw pictures of, looked great at the racetrack, uh, his home racetrack, Texas Motor Speedway, Johnny Rutherford, Three away from Rick Mears, five from Elio, Dario, and Paul Tracy, and we still think of him as relatively young. He's, well, he just turned 32. He's 32 years old. He just turned 32 in, in December. He's in the middle of his career. Maybe still early in his career. I mean, middle is probably fair, but but I would still say if he wants to drive till he's mid-40s, he certainly could do that. He could be just beyond a third of the way through his career well, put, if he chooses. Let's yeah. put, it, put it this way. If he has a season like last season, he'll catch those guys by year's end. Yeah. All the guys you just mentioned. The one that got me, I mean, I, I, I saw the Johnny Rutherford too, and I've been keeping track of, of these things, but the fact he was so close to Mears was shocking to me. And then, as you mentioned, Dario and Elio, and I mean, he's now within striking distance of those guys before Elio retires. I mean, this this is unbelievable. I feel like Mir's number is lower than what his talent was because he missed some time because of injuries, sure. and he wasn't the same on road courses after the, the feet injuries. But he was the guy. He was the winningest driver for Penske for many, many years. So how about this, too? Uh, at the venues, there are 12 venues left that IndyCar has raced on through the end of this year. 12. Okay, that that you take away two at Indianapolis on the road course and two at Iowa, and of course they've not raced on this new Detroit circuit. So there are 12 places still to race this season, 15 total races. Of those 12, Joseph has won at least one, in most cases multiple races, at eight of the remaining 12 stops. That's He's set up. Yeah. He's set up. He's now got 12 oval track victories. That's, that's wow. Of course, four of those are at Iowa, but still. 
Well, that works out well since for him they raced there twice. That's right. This yeah. year, I think I'd make him my championship uh, favorite. Although you know he, he got off to a slow start at St. Pete and finished seventeenth, and you know he won this race at Texas last year and didn't go on to win the championship despite winning five, four more races, five in all last season. So nothing's assured, and the competition obviously is very high in the sport. So we'll see how it goes. But Joseph is set up. What, what I really enjoy about IndyCar is, and it's not to disparage other forms of motorsport, but after two races, we know, and I guess you could say two people could win the Formula One World Championship. Perez could win, but he's not going to. We know who's going to win that championship. In NASCAR, it's pointless to discuss, which you could say is a good thing that it won't be discussed until you get in. Really, it can't be discussed until you get to the championship round. Because you could win every single, what are the, 36 races? You could win 35 races and not win the championship, right? That's right. You could win 35 races. Uh, But in IndyCar, I kind of feel like even two races in, we can start talking about the championship a little bit. As we like to say, it gets late early if you've gotten off to an awful start. And even two races in, there are probably some you can say, "Eh, it's going to be really tough to climb out of that hole but the people up front generally speaking the top five are all people that i think some would choose for the championship maybe the one that not enough would which is a, another point of conversation why wouldn't they is marcus erickson why shouldn't we who led the championship much of last year and he's right there again he is second seven points behind Pato award dixon is third minus 15 new garden 16 back Pillow, 22 back. Those, you know, I would say the the ones in most people would be in no particular order talking about this year for championship would probably be Award, Dixon, Newgarden, Pillow, McLaughlin, and Power. Yeah, Power's, you know, pa- Power's race, a little surprising over the weekend. I still don't, I'm not able to properly assess or discuss why his he was no factor in Texas. Uh, he dropped off the pace pretty quickly and, and never recovered. Uh, you might also throw in, you know, Rossi's season will be one to watch. Uh, I don't know that he reaches the top five, but, you know, as he transitions with Arrow McLaren, I think that's that could be another one. But you're right. We got five, six, seven guys, and nobody has nobody's had such a bad start and the lack of double points at Indianapolis will be good for the sport this year. And so, you know, we'll just be a consistent, you know, somebody will lead for a while, somebody will, somebody will gain, nobody will really be out of it because the, the talent level's extremely high. 27 lead changes, 1,070 on-track passes. Yep. That's... Um... Well, it was like nearly 500 passes uh, in, like in the top group. I mean, it just it was really it was really outstanding on on many fronts. Um, you know, one of those kind of races I, I think we all hope for, but uh, haven't seen a lot of in the last decade at Texas. Mm-hmm. But it certainly remind you of the of the holding your breath kind of moments. Um, as Jake said on the call, we heard this at the top of the hour. Was you know, there's a lot of knuckles here that are awful white right now because mm-hmm. this is how we're racing. Uh, legitimate leaders, New Garden, Pato, Pillow, 
That's heard it briefly. It. That's late. pretty much it. Well, heard it. Heard it was up there in the mix. I think that was legit. Late. I'm not sure that Grosjean did he ever go to the front in the pack, or was that off sequence? Was that when someone was pitting? Well, I don't know, but it was no. In, I think he did lead very briefly. I think briefly. he did. He led briefly when all were out there. I think he led, but he led laps like of 250. There were 250, 248s, kind of where it kind of ended, but uh, which is interesting because last year 248 was the the number of laps yeah. we had in the race. But and we'd have had a side by side finish had this one been two forty eight. But but I think Grosjean led laps two twenty one and two twenty two or two twenty and two twenty one. So it was certainly in the last segment of the race whether or not it was uh, under under the, uh, the the little scrap at the end. I I can't say, but I'm pretty sure that. Let me look here just to make sure that the caution. Yeah, that was not under caution. That was uh, that was in the flurry right after Stingray Rob uh, had his trouble on the backstretch. Yep. All right, let's talk about the end of the race now. You know, I'm I'm seeing commentary from some. I'm not sure if it's long time, but I'm sure there's some. It, it, it is split a little bit, even from some longtime IndyCar fans that think in today's age that you need to do everything you can to finish a race under green, and this should have been extended. Uh, I don't think my opinion has changed on this front. What is your opinion? Well, my opinion is they do make every effort to finish a race under green, and they have they have um, you know guidelines in place where they can essentially help make that happen. In other words, had there been, and I don't know what the number was, but I'm let's just say for the sake of argument, had there been five to seven laps left in the race, they would have. You know, stop the action, red flagged it, giving you a chance because you you need you need like a, a w- one lap around and then another lap to gain speed and then go green. So you kind of need three for sure to have a one lap shootout. You need three laps left in a race. I don't agree with the going beyond the scheduled distance. People have built their fuel mileage. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have built their their pit strategies, their positioning in the race. I think I think you have to stick. I, I'm very much a proponent of sticking to 250 laps if that's the announced distance. This one just fell too late. You could not have, I mean, let's think about this. Grosjean hits a wall on, on the next to last lap, so they... No, you'd have to do more laps. You'd have to do more laps. There's just no way around it, even if, you know, even if you would have just stopped him, you couldn't have stopped the field you know, at the end of 249, and then you only have one lap. It's just not, you got to have about three or four laps to make it happen, probably more like five. So they have a policy in place. They don't announce it, but had that, had Grosjean's turn two incident happened on, let's say, 243, they would have red flagged the race and tried to have a two or three lap shootout, but you can only do so much. So I still feel. Very firm that this is the right way to do it. I know not everyone will agree with that, and I understand that. Um, but I do think that that is one thing that IndyCar has, that the, the purity aspect, that it is the advertised distance. You mentioned the, the fuel aspect of it. There are just a lot of considerations involved. This is also not stock car racing. And... Maybe this shouldn't be the consideration, but in my mind, you are flirting with disaster and you're also 
going to make it very difficult on a sport that you know, these teams are not flush with cash. And if you want to do another one lap dash to the finish, there's probably going to be another crash. And these cars are a lot more expensive to repair than stock cars. By the way, the danger is still probably a little bit more. Uh, so I don't think the risk is worth the reward for that. And there's still no guarantee. I think the chances are still better than 50-50. The race does not finish under a green. So how many times do you do it? You can go the NASCAR path and keep trying, and then you get criticized and laughed at because it takes you three times and 45 minutes to run the last two laps of the race. We all understand that when you get to the later stages of an oval race— Every second could end the race. And I felt that way about the Indy 500. I am good that they red flag it when they can, when there's a crash with 10 laps left. But I didn't feel like that was an atrocity either because I always understood if there was a big crash with less than 10 laps to go, that might be the end of it. So you want to be ahead as much as you possibly can. And if you try to strategize to be in second, you run the risk of the race being over. So this well, is fine. And even, you know, you think back to the Formula One race over the weekend, uh, they tried basically a, a, a what was a one or two lap shootout, ended up with six cars torn up. And then they basically yeah. said that never happened. Yeah, oh, they, by the way, we'll go, they, they don't even freeze the field. They, yeah. they go back to before the last timeline or whatever they, they call it sector but basically yeah. go back to the last timeline which would have been start finish and say okay alonzo gets third place back even though uh, his car is now 16th in the running order or whatever it was so there's just no guarantees that you're going to be able to finish that you know like you would like and here you have to think about television time and you are going to be limited and maybe it's one thing if you are NASCAR and you're drawing three million plus that they're more likely to stick with you. But when you're not, you run the risk of the finish of your races if you go too long moving to streaming. Because they'll, they'll do that for you some, but they're not going to. And they did that, by the way, at St. Petersburg. Pete, I, they I went was... way over into an event that drew, I forget, it was either two or three times the audience. Uh, and and the, the event coming in was another PGA Tour event that drew about twice the audience. So here's one thing I'd be interested in. I'd love to know when we get to the stage. And as you mentioned, it's not publicized and the exact lap. And I have asked this many times, what is the lap? And I can't ever get an exact number. So I just use kind of process of elimination. And the reason they don't give me an exact lap, I understand, because part of it depends on, because they don't want to say, if there are 200 laps, if it is before lap 195, we're going to red flag it. Well, one is, how long is the cleanup going to be? Where are we at in the television window? Are we down to four cars remaining? <laughs> you know, if all of those, like remember that Texas race a few years ago? Sure. It was, this needs to be over because we're down to six cars. Checker it and let's move on. Um, but I would like a scenario and it doesn't even have to be before the race, but say in the driver's briefing notes, we'll let everyone know with 30 laps left 
of the race, if it's a 200-lap race. We'll, we'll let you know then what the last lap for a potential red flag will be. Because by that time, you have a better chance of knowing where you're at in your television window if you've already crashed out 14 cars uh, and so forth. And you just, in that way, because one of the problems that I fear is when we get in one of those gray areas, if this race would have been on lap 245 of 250, that's a gray area. Are you red flagging it or are you saying there's not enough time and then it's almost as if you're picking the winner. I would love there to be a scenario where it is written down. We've told everyone, even if it's 15 minutes before, that if we get to this lap, the race is over. If a caution comes out, the race is over. The broadcast knows it. They can definitively clear declare this is the winner instead of a situation a few years ago where someone in the booth said, oh, they're going to red flag it. No, it was too late for a red flag, but nobody thought of that. So so just devil's advocate. Yeah, and I, I hear think that. There needs to be this. The only thing I'd like them to do is to write, write that number down and stick it in a box so that they can't get it back out of the box. And that as that is their quote unquote announced time. They don't tell you what it is. Here's the problem as I see it. If you got a four car team and you you're past that okay so it's 245 and we get to 246 and you're just not sure but your guys in the lead could you be could you have some shenanigans going on because you're either on the good side of the the lap count good or point. the bad side Good point you're a multi-car team. We got a field full of multi-car teams, and the guy running twentieth just coast to a stop on the back stretch. It has happened. <laughs> yeah, and you just wonder. Yeah, okay. So I would like that. That's that, why they're smarter than I am. That that lap two forty three, if that's the number. Yeah. To be posted, but not accessible to anybody, so that if we got to the end of the deal and somebody said, "Hey, you know, Roger Penske owns this, and he needed the caution, and he needed the red flag, and now it's 2:45, and we're not sure if that was in the gray area." Kyle Novak, the race director, can pull it out of the box and say, "No, I said before the race we're at 2:43. That's where our yeah. number is." That's my point. That okay. you kind of have have decided, you've written it down. But there's no use telling people because you don't need to know. Well, what about this, though? But by the time you get to 247, where you're past the point of no return, if you were willing to do that on lap 245, why wouldn't your car just coast to a stop on lap 247, running three laps down? Well, if you were willing to do that. I, I have so a there's couple, nothing to stop that. I No, there is nothing to stop that. Uh, we also have a lot of telemetry that would, would show whether you did that on purpose or not. And we have seen in racing several times... Uh, I'm not going to call them out by name, but some instances where there was some sketchy uh, decisions by parking cars or causing a situation or uh, I'll let the, the, the astute listeners figure those out. But um, the point is, I th- I think you can prevent some of that, but it sure would be. It, you just the, don't need to. The problem with the hard lap time is the other factors that could change by the time you That's get right. to that point. That's right. That's right. Which meaning the race is already running long. We got four cars left, whatever they are. Yeah. There's other, the rain's coming. Uh, We're about out of the TV window. Any number of things. It's getting dark. We don't have lights. In a perfect world, I would just love for us to know we get to a point once so that the broadcast, so that way all the fans understand there's only four laps to go. The next caution 
the next flag ends this race. Yeah, but you you can you most people uh, generally speaking, and, and this, I don't think they do understand it because no, they're they watching don't. NASCAR. They, I get it. But, they're they're uh, watching NASCAR, and every time this happens, you see befuddled comments. I cannot believe they didn't finish under green. Well, well, no. that, we'll just have to deal with that. Yeah, I guess these so. are these are twenty second laps at Texas, and essentially this crash with Grosjean happened with thirty seconds left in the game. 30 seconds. Yeah. That's it. That's all that was left. And so you're just going to have to go, yeah, it's too bad. Well, it took nothing away. Oh, it was a great race. My, Such a great I race. I mean, I, yes, I'd love to see the photo finish, but at that point, I felt like I was overserved already. So <laughs> I was good. I was good. All right. Uh, we'll catch up on some things. There's still much to cover. Stay with us. Trackside. Hi, this is Pato Award, and you're listening to Trackside. Let's catch back up. Short segment. Let me refresh the Twitter inbox at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan. Uh, off topic, Charlie Smith, C.C. Smith, 1989. What are the chances of the scheduled Indy next testing happening in IMS tomorrow with the storms in the forecast? Will they test in the wet if no lightning or ponding? Well, you wrote this earlier since that time. The chances are not good because they've already <laughs> moved it. They looked at the forecast, so it is now going to be on Thursday. Last I saw, like a 95% chance of heavy rain tomorrow. So no Indy Next testing uh, out there tomorrow, weather permitting. You can go at the museum mounds. I might go out there on Thursday and watch. I need I'll to, be out there. I need yeah. to talk to some of the drivers, so this will be a good chance. It's been a while since we've seen them. They will be with IndyCar again at Barber. Today, there were a couple of race cars. Uh, Acura's getting set for the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship coming back in September. So Tom Blundquist was there, who runs with uh, Meyer Shank with Curb Agajanian, and Felipe Albuquerque, who runs with Wayne Taylor Racing with Andretti Autosport. Everybody's got with uh, somebody else. Uh, so that that's uh, was good to see. Uh, Albuquerque has run at the road course in Indianapolis back in 2013, different configuration back in the day when that was kind of the MotoGP layout, if you will. And it was a first time for Blomquist who tested an IndyCar, if you recall, back in October at Sebring. He still has real high hopes of being in an IndyCar race. And somebody somebody mentioned to me today that they thought he could be in the third car at Meyer Shank Racing next year uh, in the Indy 500. So seems like a lot, but Anything's possible. Well, I think there's a good chance he's going to be in a Meyer Shank IndyCar next year. At some point, yes. Uh, I mean, it might even be next year. It might be next year, and it might be the full season. So we'll we'll see how things go on that standpoint. But he's really, really good, as is Philippe Albuquerque. Uh, so that that was cool to see though those guys out there. I can't wait to see that race coming up in the fall this year, September 15 through 17. Camping. Inside the track is available. The Michelin Pilot Challenge race, which is like their Indy next. That race is going to go into the dark. It'll end, whatever, a half hour after dark. It's going to be like a 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. race and, and go until 9-ish or so. That'll be on maybe Saturday night and the the WeatherTech race is on Sunday. I might have the days off or so, but we'll talk no, more about that. But that is that is going to be a fun event in the fall. Uh, William P. Martin the second asked, did Joseph Newgarden receive the traditional six shooters at Texas on Sunday? I wondered if they just didn't show it on TV or if they eliminated the prize. They eliminated the prize. I saw a release or a news story or something last week that was no longer going to be a part of the Victory Lane celebration. And Chris at Mr. CMB99 says this summer I'll be attending a teacher conference at Ball State. 
Any recommendations on things to do or places to eat around the university? I think they're all closed. That uh, is the Pizza King still there? Oh, I, don't, I, I just um, had a good Pizza the, King. The, the Chug. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever eaten dinner there. I think the Chug still exists. I don't believe Mugly's used to have lunch there. I don't think they're. So you're going to need to talk to somebody. I think a little more recent than me. Um, you so can I, never I, beat the Pizza King in Muncie. I had the Pizza King in Carmel. As I often do, once about once a week, maybe once every There's other one in week. Avon too, yeah. Uh, the one in uh, the Muncie is always my favorite, and uh, so so our our normal stop was the uh, Ponderosa, all you can eat on Sundays, and we'd basically camp out there and have lunch and dinner, and they didn't really care for us very much. Yeah, so stop not. by the Ponderosa and say hi for the boys from Winsong. <laughs> all right, uh, hour number two coming up. Much more to get into, including uh, pit lane issues, strategist swap-ups, and what everybody feels about that, and much more coming up. And Burger Bash details on the way on Trackside. This is Alex Palou, and you're listening to Trackside. Hour two, a little late on the schedule. <laughs> hey, when you come in studio, you make your own rules. Uh, it's good to be here. Eddie Garrison is just grimacing back there. Hey, he'll shut up eventually. He's happy to see us. <laughs> we do like to make an appearance every now and again. I'm sporting the shirt that's been in uh, one of our grand poobahs of programming's office for, I think, six months. My 93.5 and 107.5, the fan shirt. Yeah, but we forgot to get it the last time oh, okay. we were here. We were here. We picked up the Radio 1 shirt. I did not know there was a, a fan t-shirt. I didn't get my Radio 1 shirt. It's in my house. I, oh, I, I see. I have it for you, and you will I didn't know you were coming in tonight. So you'll get that in May. I'll bring that to the track and deliver it in May. Uh, at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cabin, if you have something for us here tonight... Uh, where do you want to go next? Maybe we go to the confusion on the contact on pit lane and who should be penalized. And both drivers are quite adamant that they were not in the wrong. And Well, let's put it this way. They're both, uh, I would describe as, as friends of the show and friends of ours. So in the next eight to ten minutes, we're going to tick off one of them. Well, I don't know because I still don't know. Who's at fault in this? So for those that did not okay, see... Okay, I'm going to tick off one of them. Okay, so those that did not see the race, uh, was this was the very first pit stop. First pit stop, Alexander Rossi had been running up near the front. Great car at Errol McLaren. He gets to his box first, is exiting, finishing his stop. And pit locations are determined by qualifying of the last race. And in the last race, Kyle Kirkwood qualified better than he did. So his pit box was further ahead of Alexander Rossi's. But Kirkwood did not qualify well at Texas, so he was near the back. So he was coming in as Rossi was exiting. And they hit. And Rossi's car was damaged. And he lost six laps and his race was over. And then to add to it, he was assessed a penalty of a drive through which at that point didn't matter because his race was but he was hot already over but yeah you, you don't want to it's just the the point of the matter at that point so my first inclination was it's always the responsibility no matter how hard it is and how congested it is it's always the responsibility my understanding is of the car exiting the pit box the car coming in has the right away and if there is going to be an intersection, the a crisscross team, we call it. Yes, the team with the exiting 
pit stop car must hold and wait. And there is the conundrum and why you sometimes see these incidents and you see the outside left, in this case, left uh, front tire changer, wave them on in an instant and sometimes take a risk because... Outside right. uh, Outside right, yes. Outside right in this case. Easiest way is outside front. Um, Because if you wait... You lose four or five spots, so you've got to be aggressive. That's the challenge there. But I think, was this Alex Pelot that did this last year? I remember at Laguna Seca, somebody held their guy in the pit box, lost two or three seconds, but it saved their race. And they it might have been Pelot because he went on and dominated that race. So that's been my understanding, that it's always that responsibility. Um, our our two former drivers in the booth mentioned that, no, they're coming from the outside lane. You need to be in the middle lane. And I will admit, oh, okay, I don't know. I haven't driven race cars. I'm going to guess that they're correct. But then we see oh, everybody else was kind of pitting from that fast lane as well. So it appears like you do stay in the outer lane. There's an option to get in the middle lane. Um But it looks like, you can put it this way, Kyle Kirkwood was not at fault. He had the right of way. And, I mean, I guess you can say also, Alexander Rossi, I'm not going to say he's at fault because he's just listening. He's told to leave, and he leaves. So that's why I say I don't think either driver is at fault. But unfortunately, however, and, and I'll get to some other things, like the colors of the car, Kirkwood is one of three cars that are Auto Nation that are very, very similar. His car is very similar. I know it's more pink, but it's similar to the two Meyer Shank cars. So I feel greatly for the guy that has to make this decision in a split second, sees a pink car, might think, oh, that's Elio or Simon. And they're pitted way down there, so they're exiting. They're not coming in. But ultimately, that is part of the job. So I think if you have to assess blame, it is on the seven team. So On the Rossi team. So as soon as the two booth guys chimed in about blame on Kirkwood, I was like, no, 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 no. Stand back here just a second, fellas. First of all, I don't think Kirkwood did the situation any favors by being so far out in that what would be the fast lane. I think if if it would have been more clear had he been a little closer uh, or even in the middle lane, that might have helped the situation. The release guy on Rossi's car would have clearly known this guy is not accelerating as a Meyer shank car or getting up to speed as a Meyer shank car pitted behind us, uh, then he might have known. I did see in the camera shot there was another car in the middle lane briefly, so maybe that impacts why, where Kyle is uh, relative uh, to the pit box. But this has always been the case. The guys in the fast lane have the first priority to what happens. The guy in the middle lane has the second priority, and the guy in the pit box is the third priority. He always, the guy in the pit box is always to, and this is a Brian Barnhart phrase, going back, you know, the last couple, you know, race control guys, race directors, is know your neighbor. Uh, The irony, Brian Barnhart is the strategist for the seven car. I understand. But 
but know your neighbor. You have got to know who's going to be in the pit boxes two or three ahead of you. Yes, you do. So you know there's a pink car, and I, ironically, this is Rossi's old car yeah. that's coming down. It's an all, pretty much an all-pink car. you got to know that a pink car is going to be pitting about two spots ahead of us. The pink car could be in play. you got to know your neighbor. And I'll tell you, the other thing that happens, most of the time when there's an unsafe release – the outside tire changer doesn't look. He just waves, just sends him. With If there's an unsafe situation where they make contact, mm-hmm. it's because the guy doesn't look. I don't know whether this crew member looked or not. doesn't matter. The point is he released him. He Maybe he thought you know he was good, but clearly the responsibility, if there's going to be one, has to go to the guy who's in the pit box. You have to know your neighbor. You have to know that there's a chance – I know you got competition. You got to send him. They did change the penalty from unsafe release to uh, contact, uh, improper contact or avoidable contact. They've changed the wording on that. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but it it went initially as unsafe release, and they changed it. Yeah. So I have. You're right. I have the original box score, which says unsafe release, but I've seen they changed it to something. About the contact about itself. Contact. So, you know, bottom line, it comes down to there's going to be, if there's going to be blame, and I guess for the record book, you have to call it on somebody, or maybe you just say it's, it's a racing incident, but on pit road, you know, usually you don't have racing incidents here. Somebody released too soon or something to the effect. The bottom line is it didn't impact either one of them because they were essentially both out of the race very quickly thereafter. Uh, but, um, yeah, I have to put it on the Rossi car. Uh, it's not fair, <laughs> so to speak, but but uh, that's kind of the way it goes here on, on this one. Let me let me see if I can give it. Um, well, while you're, while you're looking at that, um, there, we need to do more to help the crew person on the outside front tasked with that there is so much going on and it, because he, he he has just changed a tire he is then potentially responsible for a wing change he's picking his head up he's watching to see if the fuel is done if the car is down if anyone has raised their hand and said a tire is not on and then he's assessing incoming traffic. Ultimately, you're right. And that's why I think these people are just as talented as the drivers. And I find that job more frightening than driving the race car, being out in the line of fire like that. But I'm wondering if, and remember Roger Penske for many years, he did that himself. And we debated whether that was the right way or not. But he was, watch me, watch me, go, 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 go. And his feeling, and and I can see this. His feeling was, I don't have to do anything else. Yeah. I am overseeing the entire situation. I'm not trying to change a tire. And by the way, what happens if you've screwed up your tire change and then you're flustered and you're trying to catch back up? Penske then has one thing. He's overlooking everything. Now, the argument against that was you, you need it to be somewhere where the driver can see. The driver is looking to his outside right anyway, so it makes more sense for the visual release from the outside. Maybe it's a combination of two, that it's almost like the outside front guy has a spotter, and in this case, it would be Brian Barnhart on the box 
saying, hey, watch out that pink car there. Watch, hold, hold, hold. You know, give him a stop there is just an extra set of eyes. Yep. Now, that said, I, I do hear strategists sometimes will make a call like that, but it's so bang, bang. And I don't know how this does not happen more often. No, that 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 is the part I 100% agree with. By the way, it was it was changed to rule 7.11.1.7 if you have a rule oh, book that one. to contact with another car. So it was not unsafe release, it was just contact with another car. Uh, but the, the which is interesting because we have those from time to time that just You go. know, as much as you want want to say it's a racing incident. I think you do have to call things on pit lane. We can say that on the racetrack. Exactly. Pit lane, you you have to call so, something to make sure there is a heavy deterrent for anyone that is pushing the envelope. And no, if you push it and you fail, your race is going to kind of end. So I would say a couple things uh, about the responsibility and the heavy burden that's placed on the outside right or outside front tire changer, he is among the first to change his tire. So, yes, he's looking at a couple different things, but he should be done with his tire first. I mean, it should happen that way. Yeah, the, the, yes. And so he should, in, in theory, have a split second longer than everybody else. And by the way, this is new, not a new phenomenon in IndyCar racing. This has been the way it is. And I'm sure Brian Barnhart or who's ever on the pit stand can jump in and say, watch out for the pink car uh, or hold, hold, hold. But these things do happen in in uh, in quick time and they're going to happen again. It's it is amazing. It doesn't happen more often. This is not a particularly big uh, this. There is sufficient space on pit road at Texas, though. Yes. You know, it's this is not mid Ohio. Mm -hmm. Uh, So so there is some more leeway there, but. You know, it's still tough. I, I do feel for the guys. I think if you have to give the assessment of blame to some team, it has to go to the one that's in the pit box. Well, unfortunately for Alexander Rossi, his uh, it didn't l- matter. lack of fortune continues there, where the trend has been he doesn't get to race. And this time, he had a potential race-winning car. His car, I think, might have been pretty close to what Pato Awards was. So he was probably going to be in the fight. And just it, and think about the championship. I think they outpointed where they thought they were at St. Pete. Legitimately, they expected to be good at this race. He could be sitting pretty good at this point. And now he's you know not done because he's got a top five already in the books. But it sets him back a little bit. Yeah, it does, and and I think he's going to be really strong in Indianapolis, and obviously oh, yes. that's what that's where it matters most. And those those all of those cars on that all, team, they finished. You know, those drivers finished second, third, fourth, and fifth in last year's Indy 500. Not all with that team, but the driver, you know, knows what he wants, and he can he can talk about tricks that he had at the at the previous stop, and and that will help the setup of the cars. I know. For, I know we've got more on this race to talk about, but I'm still fascinated with what if Penske is back to being Penske at Indianapolis? You're going to have three teams with every driver feeling like they can win the race. Because you know, unless something has happened, Ganassi... All four Ganassi should be feeling that way. And... All four... All, all four, four McLarens, McLarens. Tony Kanaan. 
and certainly the three Penske's, that's 11. And, and the Ed Carpenter cars are good. And, and don't rule out, you know, Colton Herta. Yes. Mean, that would <laughs> yeah. be another one. Oh, yeah, Andretti's been pretty good there. So anyway, okay. Um, sticking with the 27 with Kyle Kirkwood, the other... This this is more like Formula One world where the, it's the drama off the track is more interesting than anything that happens on the track. So we got word. Uh, I guess I saw a crew list maybe last Wednesday or Thursday that there's been a swap of strategists between two of the Andretti Autosport cars and Scott Harner, who is a team manager, longtime team manager with Ganassi, recently with Foyt, started the season on Kyle Kirkwood's car was moving to Colton Herta, and Brian Herta, Colton's dad, was moving off of Colton's car to Kyle Kirkwood, and the, the response was essentially, you know, nothing to see here, don't don't worry about this, this is just a, a change. Okay. Um, nothing to see here, change just to, you know, shake things up, doesn't happen one race into the season. There is a reason for this. So, okay, maybe we can accept that. But then when Colton is asked about it and he doesn't want to talk about it and says, I don't agree with it. And I think I saw, um, I did a screenshot of the tweet, IndyCar Radio. I'll see if I can find that real quick. Interviewed Brian and it sounded like he wasn't in favor of this one as well. And someone uh, said that Brian was wearing a Colton Herta hat or something throughout the weekend. (laughs) So I would have, I would have, or I did suspect until I, I dug more into it and then heard what Colton had to say about it. I would have suspected that Colton initiated the move just because, you know, I would not have, I, 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 let me rephrase. I would have thought that, that the Herders would have mutually agreed to go the other way. If, if that's, that was my very first impression. I, I see what you think that. Yeah, that's what would precipitate this is if the two of them said, you know what? This ain't eh. working. We're, we're at but each other. The reason whatever. I didn't think that was it, because I know both are adamant and they they are annoyed when others, Absolutely. others, others have said many times publicly. You can't do this. That it'd probably be best. We saw Bobby Rahal get off Graham's radio. We heard the fireworks with Marco and Michael, it's probably best. Now, I would say this. This is not quite the same as some of those others. Graham and Marco, I mean, we've had some funny moments with Colton, but they are nowhere near the level where Gra- Graham is, just has no filter. Just Graham tells you what's on his mind, and when it's his dad, he's definitely going to tell you what's on his mind. Marco is the same, and I don't think that's really changed a whole lot with someone else on Marco's radio. Um, I love listening to Marco's scanner. Joe Berkmeyer, my my pit helper who listens to scanners with me and is in charge of me. It's a it's a race tradition that the race is not complete until he hands me a note and says Marco is screaming on the radio because he's always screaming at some point on the radio <laughs> about something and he's not necessarily yelling at someone. It's just hey, you're going really fast. You get fired it's an up. Intense voice. It's yes. So I don't think Colton was to that level, but I I do think that they both felt like this is fine. Dad's not offended, so he laughs about it. The son, I think, enjoyed not worrying about offending someone else and wanted, loved the opportunity to just be totally honest. I'm not hurting anyone's feeling because I don't think he would speak to Brian Barnhart 
like that, or Scott Harner, or whoever, because he's a respectful young man. He's a good young man. He's a good guy. This just takes out the filter, and I understand their point that they feel like this allows us to cut out the BS and just say what's on our mind. Others, I think some within the team, thought, eh, we're not sure that this is super productive. Yes. Now, that said, I still don't think that, because nothing changed in race one that I know of. Uh, I was covering Colton's car at St. Pete, I think, and I don't remember anything out of the ordinary in conversations there. So something else beyond that precipitated this. So here's my theory, that you already had this, that some, I suspect, within the team thought, eh, this may not be best, and whether it's healthy for them or not, we're tired of Townsend and Hitch on the broadcast talking about this and these cut-ups that we see on social media. Um, okay, we're not making the move because our number one driver doesn't want to do it, and Brian wants to be on Colton's radio as well. So it's a little bit debatable. But maybe you add in the fact that, you know what? Kyle Kirkwood could probably use a former driver who is a very good strategist because we think very highly of Kyle Kirkwood. And it's not that we don't think highly of Scott Harner, but we think Colton is further along that he no longer needs a former driver that's been through it and done it on his radio. He's got it. He's got it down. So we're going to help out Kyle Kirkwood, who, by the way, might be, you know, there's no guarantee that Colton Herta is on their IndyCar program in a year. And maybe in the last week they've learned something, that they are getting a Formula 1 team, and Colton is gonzo after the year. So let's go ahead and get this started right now. I think this is the most the reasonable explanation, maybe the only explanation that makes sense. Because as I said, my first inclination was the Herders have have suggested this was a good idea, and then we heard what Colton said. Clearly, that's not the case, and I'm glad that's not the case. By the way, and you talk about people being respected. Brian Herders is respected as as anyone in the paddock, which is why Colton would never suggest this because he's you know the guy won two Indy five hundreds. He's the one of the best in the business. I want him on my car. And he's so level, and he doesn't take offense to things. Well, one time I had a little scrap with him, but that was a long time ago. But uh, anyway, it's uh, it does make sense that that, that they think that uh, Brian could help Kyle. I think that's what it's about. I think that it's that about helping be. Kyle Kirkwood. You need to remember he crashed in qualifying. Uh, the last race. Maybe that's part of they think that a, a former driver. Now going back to that. By the way, we had Kyle on the show after this, and he mentioned that he pushed a little bit too hard at St. Pete in the Firestone Fast Six. I would argue that if you're ever going to crash in qualifying... Perfect time. The Fast Six is the time to crash, because you're not starting any worse. Yes, it costs some money to repair the car, but if you don't push, you're not going to win the pole. So it is that is where the risk, the, the reward might be worth the risk. You crash in Q1... You're starting You're 28th. You're done. 27th, whatever. So I, I doubt if that specific incident is it, but th- th- that's my two cents on this. I think this was more about Kyle Kirkwood, uh, and the Hurtas are a bit collateral damage, and I feel bad for, for Brian because, hey, this was a perfect world. He's a dad and actually gets to do his job and watch his son. Now he doesn't get to watch his son anymore. He's got to watch another car. Yep, yep. 
I, I I think that that makes the most sense of anything I could come up with or I did come up with. I hadn't really considered that aspect of it. I was just trying to think, what in the world were are they worried about? Because the herders have figured it out, even though it does sound dramatic sometimes. And Colton does raise his voice, or at least comes back very pointed. But Brian so, never takes offense to it. No, we have the cutaway camera guy. that he's smiling about it. The one was great where Marco was on the stand laughing too. <laughs> Marco's like, yeah, that's kind of what I normally sounded like as well. <laughs> Good okay. stuff. All right, so coming up, uh, Indy 500 numbers. I got a few questions coming in about something said on one of the Peacock shows about do we have 34? I'll clear that up of where things stand as far as I know at this point. And Burger Bash details and... Uh, more. I know I've got other things on the list that we need to get to before we're done. Trackside 93.5107.5 The Fan. Hi, this is David Malukas, and you're listening to Trackside. How about David Malukas? Awesome. So I, I apologize that we got sidetracked and did not mention some of the other fantastic performances from the week and the season as it is. So let's do that really quick before we get into some other news. But Malukas is sixth in the championship. Uh, the race ended in his fight with Roman Grosjean. I don't see that Malukas did anything wrong there. I oh, no, no, no. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. just barely drifted up oh, just a it, little bit. And I'm not I, even going to say Grosjean made a major error, but Malukas, I think, was fine there. It was, it was such light contact that it was almost... Uh, you almost couldn't discern whether there actually was contact. So, no, I wouldn't lay that on either one of them. It just, they got close, and, and you know, those two are a little bit uh, newer to the super speedway game, so to speak, because we saw Pato and Joseph have pretty similar contact, not kind of the same angle, but they had light contact as well in the front straightaway. They saved it. Now, they were going straight, not in the middle of the corner, so that, that did change things. But I thought Malukas, even Grosjean, they were both terrific. And, uh, you know, that's only Grosjean's third super speedway race. Yeah. He finished 26th at Texas last year, 31st in last year's Indy 500. And so, you know, the, he hadn't had a lot of miles on, on the super speedways. Malukas finished 11th last year at Texas, uh, ran well in the Indy 500, the number number one or number two rookie uh, as as rookies go, and and there were other rookies in there were rookies in this race, I should say. Malukas is not a rookie this year, but uh, uh, Canapino, my goodness! If I had to ask you to put one or the other, he finished twelfth at St. Pete. Now more carnage in that race, and twelfth at Texas. And I'm not sure which is more impressive. Both very impressive drives for a guy who basically had never this, even seen this. This was more car. impressive. Texas was more impressive. They're both still pretty impressive. They're both very impressive. Uh, he he kind of survived. St. Pete was awesome. Uh, but I just say it was great. Yeah, it was great. But to stay within a lap yeah. in this race and close to his more experienced teammate, he's ahead of Ed Carpenter. Uh, he's ahead of Will Power. It's yeah. ahead of willpower in a Penske car in <laughs> an oval. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's uh, it's unbelievable. He's been he's been the real breath of of fresh air and and probably hasn't gotten enough airtime. He's he's such a good personality. I saw him on the Peacock show. I believe it was a Peacock show. Yep. And he, you know, I've talked to him probably four or five times. I've Zoom called with him a couple times and texted. He's he's uh, 
He's been terrific and very appreciative of the help that he's received from guys like Polo uh, and Calamilot, of course. Uh, he's just done a great job. Uh, I think May is going to be a great opportunity for everyone to get to know him. We have a lot of airtime, a lot of airtime on Peacock, on the public address, and on radio. So we're going to be able to introduce people to Augustine Canapino. Callum Eilat was very strong again. He's seventh in points. Yeah, I know. Seventh in the championship right now, behind David Malukas. But hey. ahead of my pick and many others pick Scott McLaughlin, who had one of those days finishing sixth that could turn out to be a championship-type day because the car wasn't awesome for him. Let's give another big shout-out to someone you wouldn't expect to give a shout-out to at this point in their career. But Alex Pillow drove his best oval track race yeah. of his career, yep. even considering the second-place finish to Elio back in 2021 at Indy. Uh, this was a great ride for Alex Pillow, who still doesn't have – that much experience on the big ovals. I mean, you know, we only run a couple of these now a year, and for him to be the factor against – he's really the only guy who could consistently kind of hang with – not even consistently, who even at any point could hang with Newgarden and and Opano Award. So great, great work for Polo, who's still very young in his IndyCar Series career as well. The rookies were really good. Benjamin Peterson had a really good Absolutely. race. Really solid, much-needed race. Congratulations to the Foyt team. Uh, Santino Ferrucci was having a solid race as well. Uh, I saw his tweet that they had a clutch issue his last stop, and they oh. had to bump start him. So he, he said he was in contention for a top 10, and I think that's right. I think he was somewhere just outside the top 10, maybe right around there. And that's why he finished four laps down. But he was better than what the final box score showed. And Stingray Rob was having a solid race. And this worked out fantastic for research. I come downtown. One of the reasons we're in the studio tonight is because I don't like running in the same place each time or even walking. I like different venues. Uh, I'll make fun of myself here. On my run at Sebring last week, here's a no-no. I did not secure my rental car keys very well in my pocket they fell out by the time i finished and noticed it was dark so i took another lap around uh with the flashlight on my on phone the race course on the race course 3.74 miles couldn't find them luckily we're staying at the hotel so eh, okay get back there realize oh jackson's gear is in the trunk so I have to walk back over there a half mile, get with Hertz to get them to unlock the trunk, to get the stuff out. Still in trouble because then I find out it's basically like $1,000 uh, if you lose the rental car keys. They don't have spares. They can't bring you a spare and it needs to be towed to Orlando. Woo. And then you pay a new car key fee. Then you need to rent a new car. Very expensive mistake. So a day of racing the next day. Day of racing. End of the day, eh, you know what? I'll take another track walk just in case. Maybe it fell off on the grass. Mrs. Lee comes with me this time. Right when we start, she finds it. It is inside turn one on the track, like six inches from the white line. And there were seven races that day, and a car (laughs) did not run over it. Uh, for the win so as she said she gets to spend a thousand dollars at disney 
She did not, but she could have. So she, anyway, she, so I like to run in different places, and, and I secured the car keys, so I went for a little run around the canal this afternoon. When I finished, I'm walking back here, and on the walk up, I run into Stingray Rob, who's taking a walk around the canal, and talk to him for just a second. And the good news to report is he feels fine. He was cleared after that. That was a big hit, so good news for Stingray, but I think he was having a solid race. And I asked him if I could say that, and he said yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. You know, uh, that doesn't really go with with last. What was it, two years ago? We're riding her bike on the Monon, and my wife nearly runs Didn't you over run over somebody. Pato Award. Yeah, <laughs> nearly runs over Pato, and I've 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 been driving through Carmel the last I don't know over the last uh, few weeks, and three different times now I've seen Benjamin Peterson. So ah. I keep seeing Benjamin Peterson. He's okay. become my new go to. Um, on one of the Peacock shows, Townsend talked about the Indy 500 and mentioned we have 34 cars, and I saw a few tweets about that. Townsend called, yeah, by the way, and this is what he called for uh, yesterday morning, as he said, now I know what you've been going through, because his son wasn't his first race weekend. He did a Skip Barber weekend last year, but he's doing the full season this year, and I'm race dad here. I put the stickers on the car. Now there's nothing else I can do. But his son Jackson Bell won the pole and the race at Road Atlanta today. And Sebastian Weldon finished second. Dan's 14-year-old son. Uh, Sam Schmidt's son is also racing. Sam's son is older. I remember Sam talking to me about that last year, and he said, "Uh uh-oh, my kid is getting into it too. But his son is a college graduate, is, you know, gone on, is successful, and is, I think, just kind of having fun racing, giving it a go right now. But... Uh, Sebastian is really good. So was Oliver Jackson. Seen them both at the cart track and said, "Yeah, they are the real deal." And Gainbridge is backing them. So I feel pretty confident. Can't ever say it's definitely going to happen. But if you could predict any 14-year-old making to IndyCar, one was Colton Herta, and the next is Sebastian Weldon. The next is probably going to be Oliver Weldon, but he's not been in a car yet. But anyways, congrats to Townsend. So, uh, and then I'll get back to what I was going to say. Tweet of the day from Lee Diffie, who congratulated <laughs> con- congratulated Jackson Bell on his performance and Sebastian Weldon his performance, and apologized for having no idea who finished third, who's on the podium in the photo, who had the fastest lap of the race. That's right, was actually faster. I saw the, the <laughs> screenshot. But anyway, Townsend called, you know, to, to commiserate and say, "How do you do this?" and and then I said, "Hey." By the way, I heard you you mentioned this. Is there something I don't know? And he's, oh, no. I was looking at, the, I, I counted Marcus Armstrong because I saw his name in Salsado. So it's still 33. Nothing has changed as far as I know. I still think, now maybe something has changed, but I think we're going to see a 34th. I saw Larry Foyt said something along the lines. I wish I could credit who he said it to. Um, Might have been IndyCar Radio. Said... Essentially, we don't plan to run an extra car. Now, he also said the same thing last year, and he ended up running one. So someone might make it in his financial best interests, which is what it's going to be uh, for that to happen. And, and in all honesty, when you, if you're thinking about putting extra cars in there, if you look at where the Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan camp is right now, uh, you're thinking, hmm, we might be able to beat one of them. And that... It's going to be a process. Let's think about this. They weren't great last year at Texas and Indianapolis. They revamp things. They bring in a super smart guy to head up their technical department. 
but I believe this was the first oval race he might have ever attended this past weekend. So this is going to be a process. I have no doubt that Stefano Sordo is going to give them some deep thinking and they're going to be better eventually. But better by Indianapolis is challenging. They're relying on Eddie Jones and Alan McDonald and the other engineers that they have. He's not going to be able to lead that process right now. Um, So I still think that we could see something extra for the Indy 500. All right. Um, Announcement time. I don't know. This is a big shocker because I I think we have alluded that it was going to continue. But we have some details, and I will tweet out once I get home tonight uh, the link. But the Burger Bash is back. It's the Prime 47 Burger Bash uh, benefiting the IU Simon Comprehensive Cancer Center. Same date, same time, same location as last year. So it does not help our out-of-towners, unfortunately. However, I have something I will announce next week on Thursday night for that weekend, if you're interested. But this is uh, still a free event outside. We'll still sell VIP tickets inside for your choice of food and beverage from Prime 47 and from the Indy Brew Bus. $100 for that going to the IU Simon Cancer Center. So we're looking forward to it at the USAC building. Uh, just right across from the racetrack. Yeah, it's a great setting, being close enough to see and kind of feel and and sense the sense the uh, oval just over there. And it's on Monday night. You didn't say that, but it'll be on Monday night. This will be the day 22nd. of the final practice, uh, or, or at least the final big practice, the final before the final practice <laughs> on Carb Day. But uh, we'd like to be do- be doing this as we originally started in 2008 as a Carb Night event, but for many, many reasons, it doesn't work too well. Uh, for both of our schedules. So. If and when my driver is not driving that night, that might be considered again. Yeah, we might go back to it. And we you know, we still might be able to put together the kind of program that we had. You know, it rose to really incredible levels at, uh, at a downtown situation. But uh, we'll see. We'll keep growing this format. But it's close to the racetrack. I felt like it went well last year. It did go um, well. And it did. We had great attendance had from like the drivers. We had like 10 drivers, including the eventual winner. So I'm going to mention that to Marcus Erickson often. Yep. This was part of your routine. It needs to be the same. So we hope to see you back. Uh, Jackson's car is going to be there, courtesy of Turn 3 Motorsports. And we'll work on some other things uh, in more details as we continue. All right, we'll wrap up the show coming up next. Hi, this is Scott Dixon, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. All right, final segment, uh, Easter weekend. So not a lot of racing, but there is some racing. The NASCAR race on dirt at Bristol is coming up Saturday night. So yeah, we'll that'll be a, that'll be a, a look fun at that. one. And then uh, one of my favorite weeks of the year next to the Indy 500 is coming up, Long Beach. Next weekend, our buddy Hinch and Ryan hunter Ray into uh, the Walk of Fame. There are always good things going on there. IMSA, the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, is also there. So we'll talk more about that coming up next Tuesday night, next show, next Tuesday from 7 until 9 on the program. And we have other things that we'll get into. The month of May is not far away. Uh, The open test is coming up. Don't forget Thursday, Indy Next Testing. At, yeah, at right. IMS. And I saw Doug Bowles tweet something that they've raised one of the mounds. We've done a lot of work in, in what oval turn four. Yeah. Uh, the inside, so that makes the viewing experience of turn one of the road course, turn two, 
uh, that section will be a more uh, enjoyable place just with some more features. It's a bigger area. I have not been down there to see it myself in spite of the fact that I usually will take a walk uh, a couple times a week down to that end of the racetrack to see what's been going on. I haven't done that yet, but I'll try to do a little scouting report before next week and give you a play-by-play of what's out there. All right. In the meantime, with a weekend with uh, no IndyCar racing, just watch Texas again. It's, it's worth taking a look at it again one more time. Thanks to Eddie Garrison. For Kurt, I'm Kevin. We'll see you next Tuesday night at 7 here at 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.